Chapter Three of Framley Parsonage by Anthony Trollope. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nick Whitley, Purley, United Kingdom. Chapter Three: Coldicotts. Coldicotts is a house of much more pretension than Framley Court. Indeed, if one looks at the ancient marks about it rather than at those of the present day it is a place of very considerable pretension there is an old forest not altogether belonging to the property but attached to it called the chase of coldicoth a portion of this forest comes up close behind the mansion and of itself gives a character and celebrity to the place the chase of coldicoths the greater part of it at least is as all the world knows crown property and now in these utilitarian days is to be disforested in former times it was a great forest stretching half across the country almost as far as silverbridge and there are bits of it here and there still to be seen at intervals throughout the whole distance but the larger remaining portion consisting of aged hollow oaks centuries old and wide-spreading withered beeches stands in the two parishes of caldicotts and uffley people still come from afar to see the oaks of caldicotts and to hear their feet rustle among the thick autumn leaves but they will soon come no longer the giants of past ages are to give way to wheat and turnips a ruthless chancellor of the exchequer disregarding old associations and rural beauty requires money returns from the lands and the chase of caldicotts is to vanish from the earth's surface some part of it however is the private property of mr sowerby who hitherto through all his pecuniary distresses has managed to save from the axe and the auction mart that portion of his paternal heritage the house of caldicotts is a large stone building probably of the time of charles the second it is approached on both fronts by a heavy double flight of stone steps in the front of the house a long solemn straight avenue through a double row of lime trees leads away to lodge gates which stand in the centre of the village of caldicotts but to the rear the windows open upon four different vistas which run down through the forest four open green rides which all converge together at a large iron gateway the barrier which divides the private grounds from the chase the sowerbys for many generations have been rangers of the chase of caldicotts thus having almost as wide an authority over the crown forest as over their own but now all this is to cease for the forest will be disforested it was nearly dark as mark robarts drove up through the avenue of lime trees to the hall door but it was easy to see that the house which was dead and silent as the grave through nine months of the year was now alive in all its parts there were lights in many of the windows and a noise of voices came from the stables and servants were moving about and dogs barked and the dark gravel before the front steps was cut up 
with many a coach-wheel oh be that you sir mr robarts said a groom taking the parson's horse by the head and touching his own hat i hope i see your reverence well quite well bob thank you all well at caldicott's pretty brobbish mr robarts deal of life going on here now sir the bishop and his lady came this morning oh ah yes i understood they were to be here any of the young ladies one young lady miss olivia i think they call her your reverence and how's mr sowerby very well your reverence he and mr harold smith and mr fothergill that's the duke's man of business you know is getting off their horses now in the stable-yard there home from hunting eh bob yes sir just home this minute and then mr robarts walked into the house his portmanteau following on a footboy's shoulder it will be seen that our young vicar was very intimate at caldicott's so much so that the groom knew him and talked to him about the people in the house yes he was intimate there much more than he had given the framley people to understand not that he had wilfully and overtly deceived any one not that he had ever spoken a false word about caldicott's but he had never boasted at home that he and sowerby were near allies neither had he told them there how often mr sowerby and lord lufton were together in london why trouble women with such matters why annoy so excellent a woman as lady lufton and then mr sowerby was one whose intimacy few young men would wish to reject he was fifty and had lived perhaps not the most salutary life but he dressed young and usually looked well he was bald with a good forehead and sparkling moist eyes he was a clever man and a pleasant companion and always good-humoured when it so suited him he was a gentleman too of high breeding and good birth whose ancestors had been known in that county longer the farmers around would boast than those of any other landowner in it unless it be the thorns of ullathorne or perhaps the greshams of greshamsbury much longer than the de courcys at courcy castle as for the duke of omnium he comparatively speaking was a new man and then he was a member of parliament a friend of some men in power and of others who might be there a man who could talk about the world as one knowing the matter of which he talked and moreover whatever might be his ways of life at other times when in the presence of a clergyman he rarely made himself offensive to clerical tastes he neither swore nor brought his vices on the carpet nor sneered at the faith of the church if he was no churchman himself he at least knew how to live with those who were how was it possible that such a one as our vicar should not relish the intimacy of mr sowerby it might be very well he would say to himself for a woman like lady lufton to turn up her nose at him for lady lufton who spent ten months of the year at framley court and who during those ten months and for the matter of that during the two months also which she spent in london saw no one out of her own set women did not understand such things the vicar said to himself 
even his own wife good and nice and sensible and intelligent as she was even she did not understand that a man in the world must meet all sorts of men and that in these days it did not do for a clergyman to be a hermit twas thus that mark robarts argued when he found himself called upon to defend himself before the bar of his own conscience for going to caldicott's and increasing his intimacy with mr sowerby he did know that mr sowerby was a dangerous man he was aware that he was over head and ears in debt and that he had already entangled young lord lufton in some pecuniary embarrassment his conscience did tell him that it would be well for him as one of christ's soldiers to look out for companions of a different stamp but nevertheless he went to caldicott's not satisfied with himself indeed but repeating to himself a great many arguments why he should be so satisfied he was shown into the drawing-room at once and there he found mrs harold smith with mrs and miss proudie and a lady whom he had never before seen and whose name he did not at first hear mentioned is that mr robarts said mrs harold smith getting up to greet him and screening her pretended ignorance under the veil of the darkness and have you really driven over four-and-twenty miles of barsetshire roads on such a day as this to assist us in our little difficulties well we can promise you gratitude at any rate and then the vicar shook hands with mrs proudie in that deferential manner which is due from a vicar to his bishop's wife and mrs proudie returned the greeting with all that smiling condescension which a bishop's wife should show to a vicar miss proudie was not quite so civil had mr robarts been still unmarried she also could have smiled sweetly but she had been exercising smiles on clergymen too long to waste them now on a married parish parson and what are the difficulties mrs smith in which i am to assist you we have six or seven gentlemen here mr robarts and they always go out hunting before breakfast and they never come back i was going to say till after dinner i wish it were so for then we should not have to wait for them excepting mr supplehouse you know said the unknown lady in a loud voice and he is generally shut up in the library writing articles he'd be better employed if he were trying to break his neck like the others said the unknown lady only he would never succeed said mrs harold smith but perhaps mr robarts you are as bad as the rest perhaps you too will be hunting to-morrow my dear mrs smith said mrs proudie in a tone denoting slight reproach and modified horror oh i forgot no of course you won't be hunting mr robarts you'll only be wishing that you could why can't he said the lady with the loud voice my dear miss dunstable a clergyman hunt while he is staying in the same house with the bishop think of the proprieties oh ah the bishop wouldn't like it wouldn't he now do tell me sir what would the bishop do to you if you did hunt it would depend upon his mood at the time madam said mr robarts 
if that were very stern he might perhaps have me beheaded before the palace gates mrs proudie drew herself up in her chair showing that she did not like the tone of the conversation and miss proudie fixed her eyes vehemently on her book showing that miss dunstable and her conversation were both beneath her notice if these gentlemen do not mean to break their necks to-night said mrs harold smith i wish they'd let us know it it's half-past six already and then mr robarts gave them to understand that no such catastrophe could be looked for that day as mr sowerby and the other sportsmen were within the stable-yard when he entered the door then ladies we may as well dress said mrs harold smith but as she moved towards the door it opened and a short gentleman with a slow quiet step entered the room but was not yet to be distinguished through the dusk by the eyes of mr robarts oh bishop is that you said mrs smith here is one of the luminaries of your diocese and then the bishop feeling through the dark made his way up to the vicar and shook him cordially by the hand he was delighted to meet mr robarts at caldicott's he said quite delighted was he not going to preach on behalf of the papuan mission next sunday ah so he the bishop had heard it was a good work an excellent work and then dr proudie expressed himself as much grieved that he could not remain at caldicott's and hear the sermon it was plain that his bishop thought no ill of him on account of his intimacy with mr sowerby but then he felt in his own heart that he did not much regard his bishop's opinion ah robarts i am delighted to see you said mr sowerby when they met on the drawing-room rug before dinner you know harold smith yes of course you do well who else is there oh supplehouse mr supplehouse allow me to introduce to you my friend mr robarts it is he who will extract the five-pound note out of your pocket next sunday for these poor papuans whom we are going to christianize that is if harold smith does not finish the work out of hand at his saturday lecture and robarts you have seen the bishop of course this he said in a whisper a fine thing to be a bishop isn't it i wish i had half your charms but my dear fellow i've made such a mistake i haven't got a bachelor parson for miss proudie you must help me out and take her in to dinner and then the great gong sounded and off they went in pairs at dinner mark found himself seated between miss proudie and the lady whom he had heard named as miss dunstable of the former he was not very fond and in spite of his host's petition was not inclined to play bachelor parson for her benefit with the other lady he would willingly have chatted during the dinner only that everybody else at table seemed to be intent on doing the same thing she was neither young nor beautiful nor peculiarly ladylike yet she seemed to enjoy a popularity which must have excited the envy of mr supplehouse and which certainly was not altogether to the taste of mrs proudie 
who however fated her as much as did the others so that our clergyman found himself unable to obtain more than an inconsiderable share of the lady's attention bishop said she speaking across the table we have missed you so all day we have had no one on earth to say a word to us my dear miss dunstable had i known that but i really was engaged on business of some importance i don't believe in business of importance do you mrs smith do i not said mrs smith if you were married to mr harold smith for one week you'd believe in it should i now what a pity that i can't have that chance of improving my faith but you are a man of business also mr supplehouse so they tell me and she turned to her neighbour on her right hand i cannot compare myself to harold smith said he but perhaps i may equal the bishop what does a man do now when he sits himself down to business how does he set about it what are his tools a choir of blotting-paper i suppose to begin with that depends i should say on his trade a shoemaker begins by waxing his thread and mr harold smith by counting up his yesterday's figures generally i should say or else by unrolling a ball of red tape well docketed papers and statistical facts are his forte and what does a bishop do can you tell me that he sends forth to his clergy either blessings or blowings up according to the state of his digestive organs but mrs proudie can explain all that to you with the greatest accuracy can she now i understand what you mean but i don't believe a word of it the bishop manages his own affairs himself quite as much as you do or mr harold smith i miss dunstable yes you but i unluckily have not a waif to manage them for me then you should not laugh at those who have for you don't know what you may come to yourself when you're married mr supplehouse began to make a pretty speech saying that he would be delighted to incur any danger in that respect to which he might be subjected by the companionship of miss dunstable but before he was half through it she had turned her back upon him and begun a conversation with mark robarts have you much work in your parish mr robarts she asked now mark was not aware that she knew his name or the fact of his having a parish and was rather surprised by the question and he had not quite liked the tone in which she had seemed to speak of the bishop and his work his desire for her further acquaintance was therefore somewhat moderated and he was not prepared to answer her question with much zeal all parish clergymen have plenty of work if they choose to do it ah that is it is it not mr robarts if they choose to do it a great many do many that i know do and see what a result they have but many neglect it and see what a result they have i think it ought to be the happiest life that a man can lead that of a parish clergyman with a wife and family and a sufficient income i think it is said mark robarts asking himself 
whether the contentment accruing to him from such blessings had made him satisfied at all points he had all these things of which miss dunstable spoke and yet he had told his wife the other day that he could not afford to neglect the acquaintance of a rising politician like harold smith what i find fault with is this continued miss dunstable that we expect clergymen to do their duty and don't give them a sufficient income give them hardly any income at all is it not a scandal that an educated gentleman with a family should be made to work half his life and perhaps the whole for a pittance of seventy pounds a year mark said that it was a scandal and thought of mr evan jones and his daughter and thought also of his own worth and his own house and his own nine hundred a year and yet you clergymen are so proud aristocratic would be the genteel word i know that you won't take the money of common ordinary poor people you must be paid from lend and endowments from tithes and church property you can't bring yourself to work for what you earn as lawyers and doctors do it is better that curates should starve than undergo such ignominy as that it is a long subject miss dunstable a very long one and that means that i am not to say any more about it i did not mean that exactly oh but you did though mr robarts and i can take a hint of that kind when i get it you clergymen like to keep those long subjects for your sermons when no one could answer you now if i have a longing heart's desire for anything at all in this world it is to be able to get up into a pulpit and preach a sermon you can't conceive how soon that appetite would pall upon you after its first indulgence that would depend upon whether i could get people to listen to me it does not pall upon mr spurgeon i suppose then her attention was called away by some question from mr sowerby and mark robarts found himself bound to address his conversation to miss proudie miss proudie however was not thankful and gave him little but monosyllables for his pains of course you know harold smith is going to give us a lecture about these islanders mr sowerby said to him as they sat round the fire over their wine after dinner mark said that he had been so informed and should be delighted to be one of the listeners you are bound to do that as he is going to listen to you the day afterwards or at any rate to pretend to do so which is as much as you will do for him it will be a terrible bore the lecture i mean not the sermon and he spoke very low into his friend's ear fancy having to drive ten miles after dusk and ten miles back to hear harold smith talk for two hours about borneo one must do it you know i dare say it will be very interesting my dear fellow you haven't undergone so many of these things as they have but he's right to do it it's his lane of life and when a man begins a thing he ought to go on with it 
where's lufton all this time in scotland when i last heard from him but he's probably at melton now it's deuced shabby of him not hunting here in his own county he escapes all the bore of going to lectures and giving feeds to the neighbours that's why he treats us so he has no idea of his duty has he lady lufton does all that you know i wish i'd a mrs sarby mare to do it for me but then lufton has no constituents to look after lucky dog by the by has he spoken to you about selling that outlaying bit of land of his in oxfordshire it belongs to the lufton property and yet it doesn't in my mind it gives more trouble than it's worth lord lufton had spoken to mark about this sale and had explained to him that such a sacrifice was absolutely necessary in consequence of certain pecuniary transactions between him lord lufton and mr sowerby but it was found impracticable to complete the business without lady lufton's knowledge and her son had commissioned mr robarts not only to inform her ladyship but to talk her over and to appease her wrath this commission he had not yet attempted to execute and it was probable that this visit to caldicott's would not do much to facilitate the business they are the most magnificent islands under the sun said harold smith to the bishop are they indeed said the bishop opening his eyes wide and assuming a look of intense interest and the most intelligent people dear me said the bishop all they want is guidance encouragement instruction and christianity suggested the bishop and christianity of course said mr smith remembering that he was speaking to a dignitary of the church it was well to humour such people mr smith thought but the christianity was to be done in the sunday sermon and was not part of his work and how do you intend to begin with them asked mr supplehouse the business of whose life it had been to suggest difficulties begin with them oh why it's very easy to begin with them the difficulty is to go on with them after the money is all spent we'll begin by explaining to them the benefits of civilization capital plan said mr supplehouse but how do you set about it smith how do we set about it how did we set about it with australia and america it is very easy to criticise but in such matters the great thing is to put one's shoulder to the wheel we sent our felons to australia said supplehouse and they began the work for us and as to america we exterminated the people instead of civilising them we did not exterminate the inhabitants of india said harold smith angrily nor have we attempted to christianise them as the bishop so properly wishes to do with your islanders supplehouse you are not fair said mr sowerby neither to harold smith nor to us 
you are making him rehearse his lecture which is bad for him and making us hear the rehearsal which is bad for us supple house belongs to a clique which monopolizes the wisdom of england said harold smith or at any rate thinks that it does but the worst of them is that they are given to talk leading articles better that than talk articles which are not leading said mr supplehouse some first-class official men do that shall i meet you at the duke's next week mr robarts said the bishop to him soon after they had gone into the drawing-room meet him at the duke's the established enemy of barsetshire mankind as lady lufton regarded his grace no idea of going to the duke's had ever entered our hero's mind nor had he been aware that the duke was about to entertain any one no my lord i think not indeed i have no acquaintance with his grace oh ah, i did not know because mr sowerby is going and so are the harold smiths and i think mr supplehouse an excellent man is the duke that is as regards all the county interests added the bishop remembering that the moral character of his bachelor grace was not the very best in the world and then his lordship began to ask some questions about the church affairs of framley in which a little interest as to framley court was also mixed up when he was interrupted by a rather sharp voice to which he instantly attended bishop said the rather sharp voice and the bishop trotted across the room to the back of the sofa on which his wife was sitting miss dunstable thinks that she will be able to come to us for a couple of days after we leave the duke's i shall be delighted above all things said the bishop bowing low to the dominant lady of the day for be it known to all men that miss dunstable was the great heiress of that name mrs proudie is so very kind as to say that she will take me in with my poodle parrot and pet old woman i tell miss dunstable that we shall have quite room for any of her suite said mrs proudie and that it will give us no trouble the labour we delight in physics pain said the gallant bishop bowing low and putting his hand upon his heart in the meantime mr fothergill had got hold of mark robarts mr fothergill was a gentleman and a magistrate of the county but he occupied the position of managing man on the duke of omnium's estates he was not exactly his agent that is to say he did not receive his rents but he managed for him saw people went about the county wrote letters supported the electioneering interest did popularity when it was too much trouble for the duke to do it himself and was in fact invaluable people in west barsetshire would often say that they did not know what on earth the duke would do if it were not for mr fothergill indeed mr fothergill was useful to the duke mr robarts he said i am very happy to have the pleasure of meeting you very happy indeed i have often heard of you from our friend sowerby 
mark bowed and said that he was delighted to have the honour of making mr fothergill's acquaintance i am commissioned by the duke of omnium continued mr fothergill to say how glad he will be if you will join his grace's party at gatherham castle next week the bishop will be there and indeed nearly the whole set who are here now the duke would have written when he heard that you were to be at caldicott's but things were hardly quite arranged then so his grace has left it for me to tell you how happy he will be to make your acquaintance in his own house i have spoken to sowerby continued mr fothergill and he very much hopes that you will be able to join us mark felt that his face became red when this proposition was made to him the party in the county to which he properly belonged he and his wife and all that made him happy and respectable looked upon the duke of omnium with horror and amazement and now he had absolutely received an invitation to the duke's house a proposition was made to him that he should be numbered among the duke's friends and though in one sense he was sorry that the proposition was made to him yet in another he was proud of it it is not every young man let his profession be what it may who can receive overtures of friendship from dukes without some elation mark too had risen in the world as far as he had yet risen by knowing great people and he certainly had an ambition to rise higher i will not degrade him by calling him a tuft hunter but he undoubtedly had a feeling that the paths most pleasant for a clergyman's feet were those which were trodden by the great ones of the earth nevertheless at the moment he declined the duke's invitation he was very much flattered he said but the duties of his parish would require him to return direct from caldicott's to framley you need not give me an answer to-night you know said mr fothergill before the week is past we will talk it over with sarby and the bishop it will be a thousand pities mr robarts if you will allow me to say so that you should neglect such an opportunity of knowing his grace when mark went to bed his mind was still set against going to the duke's but nevertheless he did feel that it was a pity that he should not do so after all was it necessary that he should obey lady lufton in all things end of chapter 3 recording by nick whitley purley united kingdom